It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by Michael Steindl. Hello, Kay. Have you ever wondered what role hydrogen plays in a more sustainable energy system? And how a fuel cell actually works? To answer these questions for us today, we're delighted to welcome Dr. Christopher Munnings to the studio. Dr. Munnings is a senior research scientist with CSIRO Energy Technology, where he leads the Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems, CHES, C-H-E-S. Christopher has a special interest in the conversion of cutting-edge fundamental science into commercial products with a passion for the creation, storage and use of energy. He's worked across the full spectrum of innovation chain from fundamental structural chemistry studies to applied R&D within large commercial organisations. Welcome, Christopher, and thanks for joining us today. Hello, and thank you for having me. Good to have you in the studio. First of all, tell us about the new facility that you lead at CSIRO, the Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems. So the, the Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems has um, been open now for nearly nearly 18 months. Um, and it was initially set up with a view to helping research um, getting out of the laboratory and into into commercial applications. So it's an industry um, research hub, and it's where we can um, help CSIRO researchers integrate the technologies, the components that they're, de- they're developing into prototypes, and it's where we can help industry understand disruption and disruptive technologies um, and how we can help them sort of experiment and trial those um, technologies, either developing prototypes or um, doing demonstration trials where we can help them explore how a technology might work in their business. Chris, I've always wanted to know, what is a fuel cell? It, it's not actually a burning process, literally, is it? It's more a chemical process? Absolutely. So a fuel cell uh, relies on electrochemistry, um, which is not um, burning or spinning or pressure. Um, electrochemistry is is exactly what the name suggests. You put electricity in and you get chemicals out, or you put chemicals in and you get electricity out. So it's the same sort of process that a battery works works on. And the way a fuel cell works is you have a, a membrane um, that will only allow ions through. And what those ions do is transport electrons across the membrane and, and result in a voltage developing on across the two electrodes. When you connect those up, electricity flows and, and that's how uh, the, the fuel cell works. The fuel cells that we're concentrating on at the moment that's getting a lot of interest are hydrogen fuel cells. So you have hydrogen on one side and oxygen on the other from air. And the hydrogen goes through the, the, um, the fuel cell membrane, reacts with the oxygen, and that produces electricity and water. So that um, concept of the membrane, that's sounding a bit like a redox battery or something. Is it fundamentally different to that or is it a similar principle? So a redox battery is, is very, very similar to a fuel cell. The difference is the electrolytes and the fluids in, in the, 
the, the battery. So a lot of the materials are similar, a lot of the design are similar. But in a redox flow battery, what you have is you have two liquids that you pass either side of the electrode. And the chemicals that flow through the electrode, uh, through the uh, membrane, are, are often different as well. And you, you said this goes either way. You can uh, reverse it and feed electricity in and get the product out. That's absolutely correct. So when you look at um, how you get the hydrogen, what you would use is something called an electrolyzer. And it's exactly the same process, but you start with water on one side of the electrode and you pull the protons out and that creates hydrogen and oxygen. So is that one of the most efficient ways of producing hydrogen for a given energy input? Uh, so most of the... Uh, processes for making hydrogen are actually quite efficient. So even using fossil fuels, energy inputs are roughly the same. Obviously, there's a, a vast difference in the amount of CO2 produced when you use the different processes. So in terms if you do with fossil fuels, the byproduct is, absolutely, is carbon dioxide. Is carbon dioxide. Okay. So with electrolysis, if you're using renewable energy, wind or solar, then um, you produce hydrogen with a very, very low carbon input. You're only talking about the embedded energy from... Mm -hmm. the construction of the electrolyzer and the renewable energy source. And you said fairly efficient. What sort of efficiencies are you talking So y you can get to sort of stack efficiencies of about 80%, which is about 70% wow. for the system. So that um, so it's like pumped process, hydro. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very similar in, um, to pumped hydro. The Except that's a round trip for pumped hydro. You're talking about one more. Absolutely, just yep. for the, the electrolysis process. In terms of the emerging storage technologies, the hydrogen cycle is, is not the most efficient. So mm -hmm. lithium, your first most efficient is your supercapacitor, then your lithium-ion battery, then you start to get into your lead-acid batteries, then your pumped hydro, and then the last one on the list is, is hydrogen. But the difference with hydrogen is you've got a fuel, and you can do it pretty much anywhere, and you can store it for long periods of time, and you can transport it through gas networks, and you can transport it across the ocean yeah, in, and in other chemicals. And a few litres of hydrogen storage is much more economical than a few litres of, of lithium storage. A absolutely. So you're talking about a um, LPG or a modified compressed natural gas tank to store your hydrogen. If you're talking about a battery, we're all quite familiar with those and what they look like. Um, so you're talking about totally different costs for storage of energy. Mm -hmm. And that's very important. A, a fuel cell... It's a scalability. It, it is. And, and it's the, the, the center of hybrid energy systems is really about looking at those the, the advantage of a lithium-ion battery, which is that very high efficiency, that very high power energy, mm -hmm. power density. Um, and then combining that with technologies like hydrogen fuel cells, where you haven't got necessarily the high efficiency but you've got the very low-cost energy store. Yeah. So you're looking at your your typical Australian application, like someone's off-grid property. You might have um, a solar panel and a battery to do your day-to-day 80% of your, your living. Mm -hmm. Conventionally, you'd have a diesel generator for those two weeks where it's not particularly sunny, but that can then be replaced by the hydrogen and the fuel cells. So that would then get you 100% sustainable, 100% renewable. So, okay, what, what do you do at CSIRO with fuel cells? So we have a, a very um, broad research program around fuel cells and hydrogen. There are lots of different types of fuel cell. Um, when we look at the polymer electrolyte fuel cells, the kind of fuel cells you'll find in vehicles or a lot of um, backup power situations or diesel replacement, those are fairly mature technologies. So what we're looking at is... is um, the barriers to commercializing those technologies. So we're integrating them in with novel systems that make hydrogen. We're developing um, sort of prototypes and units that can be used in Australia. The high temperature fuel cells, that's more fundamental research. They're at an earlier stage. 
and um, we do sort of electrode development, electrolyte development, um, testing at small scale, that sort of work. Can you explain high temperature fuel cells? So a high temperature fuel cell works in a, in a similar way to the sort of low temperature ones that run on hydrogen. But the difference with high temperature fuel cells is the waste heat produced from the process is um, at a very high level. So you can use that for other industrial processes where you would need heat um, more effectively. And they are also very much more tolerant of um, impurities in the fuel. So things like um, carbon monoxide and CO2 or, or even things like sulfur at slightly higher levels than the lower temperature um, fuel cells. So if you were looking to um, do something with biogas or with um, gasification of biomass, then you would tend towards a high temperature system because the, the, the product of those, those processes would, would fit very well with that system. Um, if you were looking at a renewable generator making hydrogen, then you would go to the lower temperature PEM systems, typically. So there are design issues with hydrogen and storing hydrogen. Yeah, so there's, there, there are challenges around um, the storage, distribution and um, use of hydrogen. Typically, the risk profile of hydrogen is very similar to natural gas. Um, they're both lighter than air, they're both flammable, they both can create an explosive atmosphere. Hydrogen leaks easier, though. Uh, hydrogen does leak easier, and <coughs> it has a wider flammability limit, but it has a much lower energy content. Um, typically, the solution to a lot of the um, issues with hazards around hydrogen is to have the um, hydrogen source outside, um, because they can escape to, to air very easily. Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about the hybrid energy systems that you're working on? So um, what, we, what we typically focus on, because we're, we're an industry-focused um, research facility in, in CSIRO, um, we typically focus on an end application. Unfortunately, end applications um, are not always suited to a, one single technology. So if you look at a very good, tech, you know, if we take a, a lithium-ion battery in a fuel cell, for instance, if you look at a very good application of a lithium-ion battery, what you want is something that you charge for an hour, discharge for an hour and then charge again for an hour maybe with an hour or two pause in the middle um, if you have that kind of application a lithium-ion battery is, is 10 times cheaper than a fuel cell option if you have the other option where you want to charge for a month and then discharge for a month then you look at the system for that and it works out that you've got a fuel cell that's 10 times cheaper than the lithium-ion solution when you do the calculations and the numbers and you build it together uh, typically you find that there's a crossover point somewhere around 18 hours to a little bit longer, maybe a couple of days, where everything's a bit grey. And that's where the vast majority of applications lie. And that's why we start to hybridise um, these systems together. So you might have a bit of PV, you might have a bit of um, lithium-ion, you might have a bit of a, of a fuel cell. And the, the sort of critical enabling thing about these technologies is they're actually as efficient at 200 watts as at 2 kilowatts, as at 40 kilowatts, as at a megawatt. For the fuel cells? For the, so for the fuel cells, for the batteries, for the solar. These are, these are systems that typically the, the efficiency doesn't change a lot with scale. So adding a battery and a fuel cell doesn't typically reduce your efficiency if they're both half as big as they would normally be in a, in a larger system. So it's quite fundamentally different to if you're looking at like a gas turbine or a diesel 
um, generator where the smaller you get, you have more and more challenges technically around how you use those things. So this is really where we're seeing a lot of disruption and a lot of growth in this area because all of a sudden you can have a power station in your house and it's as cost-effective as a power station in a field. That's, that's, a, that's a really important thing you just said. And I think the concepts you're talking about there, um, one of the fundamental problems we have is getting those across to the general public that mm. that they don't understand this difference between the cost of providing for certain times and um, the potential for combining different sources like that and the benefits of that. So... People like Arena are talking in, about exporting renewable energy from Australia to our East Asian partners. How would that work? What, what are other, our options and what work is CIRO doing in this area, Chris? So that's a, a, an area that's generating a lot of interest after the Paris Agreement and after people have digested what that actually means. Um, fundamentally, around 5% of Australia's GDP is exporting energy to places like South Korea, to Japan, to Indonesia, to all these different partners in Asia. Um, that's done through coal, mm-hmm. natural gas, and, and uranium. And people are starting to say, well, in 50 years' time, 35 years' time, those markets are going to be reducing. How does Australia actually keep that industry going? How do we keep being the the generation and the energy supply for, for that, that region? You do know that we're BZE and we published the report, <laughs> Australia uh, uh, Renewable Energy Superpower, of course. Ab- absolutely. And there's, there's, there's a lot of um, your listeners and a lot of your, your podcasts that are very well informed. Um, so in terms of the specific hydrogen part of that, the kind of options that you've, you've got there are you can look at generate, how you generate the, the, the energy or generate the fuel. Um, so you can generate hydrogen from electrolysis, like we've been discussing. There's also a lot of interest um, from generating hydrogen from brown coal and then using carbon capture and storage. And once you get to the hydrogen, you then have to think, well, how do we actually export that to, to another nation? Hydrogen is a very um, light molecule. It's a very light gas. It's not very dense. So you need to find a way of, of increasing the energy density before you can get enough energy on a ship to transport it across the ocean. So the kind of options that you talk about, you talk about liquid hydrogen, which is very much like LNG, although the energy required to liquefy hydrogen is much higher than the, the relative energy required to um, compress natural gas. You can create chemicals like ammonia or methanol mm-hmm. that are very much easier to transport. There are established industries around there, but there's often a, a reasonably high energy input into those um, those products. The other thing that, that the other challenge that you have around the ammonia industry and around um, the methanol industry is these are historically industries that have relied on cheap natural gas mm-hmm. um, to, to be produced. So a lot of the research there is how do we keep the efficiency up? How do we get the cost energy cost down? Um, and how do we couple it to a renewable hydrogen source like electrolysis or, or gasification? Um, with with carbon capture, so those typically just produce a, a stream of of hydrogen rather than um, a, a natural gas reformer, which might give you some heat. It might give you some other some other things that you can use in the process. Once you get to those transport vectors, whether it's a recyclable chemical or whether it's something like ammonia, you then have to think: Well, how do we convert that back into a useful product? Japan is is looking for electricity they they're a little bit agnostic to how you generate that electricity now if you're producing the fuel synthetically rather than just digging it up um, that takes 
more effort, takes more energy, um, makes it more expensive. So, so a lot of the research we've got is focusing on how do we really efficiently convert that fuel to electricity. Because if you can double the efficiency of the of the, the conversion process, you can tolerate a fuel that's twice as expensive. So th- mm. this is the kind of area that we, we do a lot of work in. At the so moment. that's the work you're working in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Have you worked on any particular technologies? And So the, the, the focus at the moment, um, where CSR has got a lot of strength, um, is, is, is ammonia. Um, we're looking at novel processes for producing ammonia, and we're doing that with industrial um, partners and uh, with uh, the likes of sort of uh, the ammonia industry. Um, we're also looking at um, conversion of ammonia to hydrogen through, um, uh, through cracking and through membrane separation that we've developed in our Queensland um, site. And then bringing all of that together and integrating in the Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems into a fuel cell um, cracker system that would allow us to generate electricity on demand for things like refueling stations or vehicle refueling. Just before we leave these storage technologies, uh, we did have um, a year ago a professor from University of New South Wales who was looking at storing hydrogen and developed new hydride techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you didn't mention that as an option. Do you, is that something that's growing as a viable option? or so, so metal hydrides are typically a local storage option. So mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't expect to fill a ship with, with metal. Um, it would be very expensive and it would be very difficult to do. Where metal hydrides have an enormous advantage is if you're looking at something like backup power or you're looking at, at, at off-grid power where you can generate the hydrogen and you can store it in a metal hydride. And the reason so it sort of becomes the equi- equivalent of your lithium battery. Absolutely. And, and the, the attraction of, of metal hydrides is they can store an awful lot of hydrogen in a small space mm-hmm. um, and you don't need high pressure to do it. Typically, a hydride system is 10 or 15 bar. So that really starts to open up some of the domestic uses. And certainly, if we were to develop a, an export industry based on hydrogen, you would see a lot of those technologies sort of starting to emerge domestically. Because if you can produce hydrogen at a low-cost level for export to Japan, just like we do with natural gas, you would have a local industry startup that would work on that sustainable fuel. He had a push bike that was just electric push bike run by fuel cell and uh, the hydride storage. Yeah. So we saw the Gas Vision 2050 released uh, li- earlier this year. How does that fit into the export value chain you discussed above? So the, the export value chain that Arena is looking at is, is really about the, the export of energy and the transport of energy across the oceans. The Gas Vision 2050 vision includes that. But also where it expands is it starts to say, well, we've got this enormous gas network throughout Australia. Um, we produce a lot of electricity and a lot of our houses are heated and a lot of our industrial processes are run on natural gas. How do we decarbonize that? How do we start to look at the future of that industry? What do we need to bring in? And it looked at biogas, it looked at carbon capture, but it also focused very heavily on hydrogen um, and how it could start to complement the existing electrical grid. So as we shift to more renewable energy in the grid, one of the things that's that's often not mentioned is there are times when you have an excess of renewable energy. We always focus on the times when there's not enough, but a lot of the time, once you get to very high penetration renewable energy networks, um, you're going to have an excess of renewable energy. If you can use that to create hydrogen, you can then start to produce very low-cost hydrogen, and once you get to the point where you're getting to a cost parity in terms of energy content with natural gas, 
it makes sense to start substituting some of the natural gas uses with with hydrogen. Even in in the in the early days, we can keep exporting the natural gas, but we can start using hydrogen to either supplement natural gas through hydrogen-enriched natural gas, so hydrogen can be mixed with natural gas at low levels, um, or through actually starting to look at industrial processes where you might replace natural gas with hydrogen. Well, especially given that natural gas costs are going up all the time and there's not enough available locally or in Australia. So CSIRO recently announced the Hydrogen Future Science Platform. What is a Hydrogen Future Science Platform? And can you tell us a bit about the work that's going to be done in that area? Absolutely. So one of the things that that CSIRO recognises, and it's, it's, it's very well talked about in the innovation sector, is innovation is done very badly if you end up in silos, if there's no cross-collaboration. So what CSIRO has is, is future science platforms that allow us to look at one um, section, one industry, um, and look to bring across, look to cut across all of the different parts of CSIRO and bring, bring in all the different research around the place into a very focused package of work, a very large package of work that allows us to really um, create the maximum impact and really push an industry along um, the innovation chain. The hydrogen FSP um, that we're, we're, we've just launched is looking exactly at that. It's looking at hydrogen. It's looking at domestic use of hydrogen. It's looking at export of energy. All of those those issues. And what its main aim and function is going to be is going to be pulling together the research that's done in Brisbane, in Newcastle, in Clayton, in Melbourne, where I'm from, and and sort of our, our, our sites out in Perth and all of the energy sites, bringing together the different knowledge, the different teams, different groups into multidisciplinary projects that will then allow us to kind of really start to tackle head-on some of the issues around this. So how do we reduce the cost of hydrogen production? What do we do around the safety issues and the design issues around hydrogen? Is there a way of sustainably um, producing ammonia to, to look at agriculture or to look at energy export? Are there um, areas that CSIRO needs to grow? Are there new places that we need to, to, to get new researchers into? Are there um, areas where we can partner internationally or, or locally to kind of um, increase our impact there? So what sort of industry partnerships are you developing? One of the challenges with, with talking about industry partnerships is often we have partners who come to us and they don't necessarily want us to discuss the work that we're doing with them. Um, so I'll focus on, on two um, projects that we've currently got um, we're currently looking at because they kind of show the difference and uh, show di- different ways of how the centre in particular is um, working with industry. So at the moment we're working with um, Energy Australia and Sydney Opera House um, looking at hydrogen fuel cells and we're working with that group to actually look at doing a demonstration project. So this is about taking those um, those technologies that are emerging and trying to put them into an early 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 stage application. One of the other um, companies that we work with is um, a, a company called Delta Energy Systems Australia, and they're an SME that's owned by a much larger multinational company. And what they're keen to do is they say, well, you know, we we don't want to just import Australia. Uh, import products into Australia. We want to develop Australian-specific project uh, products. And what we're helping them with is actually not related to hydrogen. It's electric vehicle um, transport issues. Um, and we're developing um, prototype systems with them using different components from their household and solar um, storage range. And that's really starting to look at 
how do we take all of this, the, the, the technologies that have been developed globally and actually bring them together into Australian-specific solutions to actually help us with, with Australian problems. I think those are two, two examples of how we work with industry. We, we try and, and be as flexible as possible. We spent about three years talking to over 300 different organisations when we set the centre up. And the one thing that we, we found in common with all of those organisations is they all want something different. So the centre is inherently designed to be very flexible and to be um, able to adapt to different styles of projects, different styles of working with, with um, our industry partners. You're listening to 3CR and we're talking to Dr Christopher Munnings from the CSIRO Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems. Chris, you have a special interest in the conversion of cutting-edge fundamental science into commercial products. How are we doing this in Australia and have you got any success stories you could briefly tell us about? So the, the success story is, is um, looking at people like um, my predecessors, the giants that I, I stand on, the shoulders of the giants that I stand on. Um, so, Newton, yeah, <laughs> so if we, if we look at um, success stories that CSIRO's had, the classic example is, is the ultra battery. So CSIRO did some research to develop a, a new advanced lead acid battery. And what they did is they did fundamental research in the laboratory. They then brought that together into, a, into, into prototypes which they trialled with industrial partners. And now that technology has been licensed and has spun out into a number of different applications. We started a, an Australian spin-out, Ecolt, um, East Penn in, in the United States, manufacture it for stationary energy storage. And uh, Fukukara in Japan now manufacture it for, for vehicles. So if you go down to your local Honda dealership and you pop the hood and you have a look at, at the battery inside your Honda Odyssey, that is an Australian designed and developed an ultra battery. Ultra battery. Wow. So there's, there, there is a, a sort of tried and tested path. The challenges are around what are the hard steps of that path. And it's, it's fairly well documented, the value of death. So you have a lot of good fundamental research. And Australia is very good at fundamental research. Mm. We have a lot of Nobel laureates. We have a lot of um, track record for, for, for doing good fundamental research. But then when you enter that valley of death, that's when you start to think, well, how do we get this, this fundamental research, this, this, um, these wonderful lab devices into, into something, a prototype, a product, something that people can recognize so that they can then invest in it and commercialize it. Um, and often the people who are investing in commercializing technologies are very open-minded, they're very interested, they're very accepting of risk, but they need to be able to understand the technology and that is often best done by building a device or building something that allows them to understand that technology. And that's fundamentally what's about 50% of the Centre for Hybrid Energy Systems. It's about taking those fantastic inventions, those things that, that could really make a radical difference in the future, and turning them into something real that people can kind of go, OK, I can see how my business could use that. I could see how... Um, that could affect my industry. I could see the, the positives of that. And that then allows the investment, that allows the, the build-up of those, of those systems and takes some of the risk out. Chris, um, just going back on the areas, uh, organisations you've been working with, I understand you've also been working with the Melbourne Cricket Club, the stadium manager of the MCG. The yeah, so... The work that we're doing with the Melbourne Cricket Ground is, is uh, Melbourne Cricket Club is, is based around the MCG, and this is part of our Energy Australia um, work that we're also doing with the Sydney Opera House. Um, the MCG has 
is an incredibly diverse, uh, sorry, the MCC runs an incredibly diverse portfolio of um, properties, and they have really interesting energy problems. They have a lot of um, big use on match days, and then they have times a year when there's very little use of, of energy at all. So as with the, the Sydney Opera House, what we're looking to do with the MCG is actually take a look at some of these really um, unusual energy usage profiles and say, well, can we use the MCG to start pulling some of these technologies out? Because what makes commercial sense when these technologies are quite early and quite expensive before they've come down their cost curves, it makes sense to use it at the MCG because of their unusual usage pattern. And then hopefully that will build a bit of... Um, capacity in Australia that will build a, a bit of momentum and allow the prices to come down and that'll start to open up other markets. And That's a high profile site to test it on. Okay, we've just about run out of time, Chris. It's been wonderful talking to you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've yeah. been talking to Dr Christopher Munnings about fuel cells and hybrid energy systems. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to bze.org.au and click on Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the website, the BZE website, and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Chris, you work closely with CSIRO Renewable Energy and Stored Energy Integration Facility. Can you tell our listeners what sort of collaboration that entails? So the, the, the work done with um, the CEIF and the REEF up in, up in Newcastle is um, largely done um, through my colleagues in the, in the lithium-ion battery space. And Can that, we just stop there for a moment and work out what REEF and CEIF is? Can so the, the REEF is the Renewable Energy Integration Facility. The CEIF is the Stored Energy Integration Facility. So they both look at how um, our grids need to adapt to large amounts of renewable energy coming into the system. And we have um, one of the leading facilities in Australia, um, up in Newcastle, where they actually look at all of the challenges around and opportunities around these new technologies coming into the grid. The new technologies that everybody's talking about at the moment are the lithium-ion batteries. Um, we've obviously got Tesla's big battery in South Australia, but we're also starting to see electric vehicles coming in and a lot of domestic battery storage systems coming in. With As part of the, the centre, I work very closely with um, researchers from our battery team um, who have expertise in all sorts of different battery chemistries, but also you know lithium and, and lead acid. And they work very closely um, with the centre, keeping an eye on what are the emerging products, what are the emerging technologies that are coming out. And then also um, with very closely with our battery team on how the grid affects those technologies and how those technologies create opportunities in the grid. So when you develop a battery, you use very expensive top-end equipment and you do very um, careful experiments in a laboratory environment. When you start taking these systems out into the real world and putting them in people's houses and using them in different ways, you start to get totally different performance. Um, and that's something that we work very closely with our grid team to kind of understand, well, how are these systems going to be used? And then we come back and we look at the actual systems and say, well, how is this, how's this load profile, how's this usage pattern, how's this hardware that they integrate with it 
going to affect the battery? How's that going to change things? And it's a very um, fluid two-way interaction where we're sort of coming up with solutions for new um, battery storage systems, ways of increasing their life, ways of reducing their costs. And the um, the, the grid are, uh, the grid people are kind of looking at the technologies that we're, we're developing and they're saying, well, okay, that's great. We can start to look at frequency regulation. We can start to look at all the grid services that these technologies um, can be used for that us electrochemists don't really understand, all the alternating current and, and spinning reserves and all these things, um, real inertia versus synthetic inertia, the things that they really have a lot of expertise in, in, in Newcastle in and, and sort of areas that we don't we don't fully understand and vice versa. We give them as much assistance and help as, as we can about what, what effect these different usages of uses of batteries are going to have on on the on the systems um so that that's a that's a bit of a broad brush answer uh, the the interaction there is is very diverse um one of the strengths of CSIRO is we can pull together multidisciplinary teams to look at a specific problem so you might have a grid operator who has a lot of um grid problems that the battery is the solution for and in order to, to to help that that grid operator out, then you will have to to bring in a team with three or four different scientists or three or four different engineers, different skill sets, different backgrounds, um, and that that's true with our interaction with Newcastle, and it's equally true with um, our interactions in the hydrogen space, with our colleagues from the oil and gas programs, with our colleagues from um, the gas cleanup work that's done in in Brisbane. Um, and also, hopefully, as we expand in the hydrogen FSP, a number of other programs from Data 61 and manufacturing um, sections in CSIRO and across the whole the whole organisation. And as you said uh, before the show, that's uh, a very important topic, but probably a whole other show. So we'll look forward to doing that with you if that's possible. <laughs> well, maybe we'll maybe we'll um, dust off some of our battery guys and get them in, and we can go really into detail on that that subject. Fantastic. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks very much, Chris. Thank mm-hmm. you.